We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Auction strategy and approach. That's what we're going to talk about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. I'm a newsletter at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his fantastic work at Rotoviz. And Sean, we got a question on Twitter. Shout out Jet, who asked if we would do a pod on the best way to approach an auction draft with a zero RB focus. Basically, everything we do has what you might call a zero RB focus. I love talking about auctions because without the draft constraints and ADP and those things, it's a lot more open-ended from a, I just think from a strategy discussion perspective about how extreme you can get in, in your allocations of your, your budget and all of those types of things. And so, yes, it will be, you know, somewhat zero RB focused. Uh, but also we just wanted to talk through auctions generally. We did. And as you mentioned, auctions are so much fun because you don't have to worry about draft slot. If you get, you know, the nine, the 10, the 11 in a normal draft this season, it felt like last season, it turned out not to be true and may turn out not to be true this year, but you, you feel like you're starting from behind in an auction. You make your own way. You don't have that excuse. And also you don't have that limitation, right? You don't have to worry about these flat areas where maybe in a dynasty startup, for example, you would trade down, but in normal redraft, you're kind of sitting there and you're like, I prefer just to take like three players, two rounds from now, as opposed to having to draft here in an auction. Obviously you can set yourself up to do that kind of thing. And as you mentioned, Ben, you can take just such a, a wide variety of approaches and it's going to benefit drafters who have set themselves up to be prepared and are going to be flexible in how they approach the auction. We get off asked pretty frequently how we would approach an auction. You know, do you like stars and scrubs? Do you like hardcore zero RB? You know, how do you go through and approach an auction? And, and I think that for me, kind of the first point with looking at auctions is that because of the flexibility, I, I like to approach it a lot of different ways. And so I, I don't think that one answer will suffice there. And, and kind of as we go through the show, Ben, I think we'll sort of look at some ways that like when you want to actually use each approach and then the types of tactics you have to employ if you're using that approach in order to be successful with it. Yeah, I love the way that you put that. I mean, I think that's the answer in snakes. We talk about that. Obviously, we're not telling people to go into drafts 100% certain they're going to go zero RB. You have to approach snake drafts with the understanding of what structural drafting and, and draft structure and, and how to build your roster is bringing you what the goals are and what the reasons that you're doing things are in, in such a way that you can be flexible to the way that your draft actually allows you to draft <clears throat> it's not you know best player available because best player available can take you down some really structurally unsound paths, right? But it's this idea that you can, especially in the early rounds and in an auction, it would be, you know, where you allocate the largest portion of your money, you can be flexible to values that fall to you and exposures that you want to get a part of, you know, that you get these opportunities to take. 
it's more about then understanding how do you build from there or if you do follow a pretty you know normal structure where maybe you might take some detours into the middle rounds obviously as you get into the you know the later rounds it's it's more just a question of how are you completing that build sometimes it can feel like the later rounds aren't that important i think they can be you know extremely important in the ways to to complete builds when i do a lot of the co-managing i do i think we spend more time sometimes not just with you, Sean, but with a, a lot of people that I that I draft with, spend more time, feels like, talking through those final rounds because it's like, how are we going to put a bow on this? You know, there's always little paths you can take, but then for each drafter, there's probably a, a comfortability in terms of what that means and what we have to get at the back end to, to cover for the strength that our various positions and our, our running back build and our wide receiver build and all of those things. And so that is, I think, the, the goal in any snake draft frankly and then in an auction you start talking about more flexibility more ways that you can build more ways that you can go it's really important i think to understand structure understand what the goals are of trying to build sound teams i don't think we can spend too too much time on that from from the ground floor today we've talked about it a ton on the show over the the last year for anyone who's you know for all of you who have been listening along but my sort of first thing with an auction always that I, that I like to mention when we talk about auctions is when I started doing auctions several years ago and basically anyone I've talked to in in home leagues or whatever, where we've tried auctions, almost always what gets brought up is auctions are more fun because you can just go and get your guys. You, you get to pick whoever you want to draft, you go and get them. And the biggest thing that I think that I've understood over the years with auctions is it's like almost the exact opposite that is the correct approach, which is to say you do need to, you talked about the preparedness, you do need to get your values in line. And the guys that you really like, you should value appropriately, which means you might have them above ADP like or an ADP related auction value, right? But that doesn't mean you get into a bidding war that goes massively above you know, a budget or a range that you set. You have to get your values in a, in a place that you feel are appropriate. A lot of people like to just pull them offline. That's it's, It'd be the same as pulling rankings offline. You, you want to look through it and get your own feel for the players that you like and get your values kind of set where you think they will, you know, where you want them to be. And you could be higher on the players you're higher on is the point I'm making. But as the room dictates, if there are other people that are incredibly high on players, you need to be willing to let any player go and sometimes be willing to take players that you wouldn't otherwise draft if the room is low on them. You'll sometimes get in rooms that are a lot that are you know similar to you and their thought process. I remember a few years ago, and I think we probably talked about it on our auction show last year that I, I took Derek Henry in an auction once who I'd never drafted in, in redraft that year. And I'm kind of somewhat known among the stealing signals readers as a guy who's basically never been on Derek Henry. Sean, I think we were taking that in common, but in our last show, you were, trying to get beyond him a little bit this year, baby. But that's a guy I actually ended up getting in an auction because he went so cheap. And I think it was a half PPR format. And I was like, okay, like I I'm basically still doing a zero RB build, but I'm getting a really cheap upside swing. This was a few years ago when he wasn't necessarily a first round pick. I got him at, you know, maybe eight or $9 or something like that. And it's like, okay, even though this is a player that I typically would never be bidding on in an auction, it made sense for the way I was building that I then grabbed an upside RB one. I think I ended up trading it before the season. So I didn't even, you know, realize it. I think this was this breakout year. Not like I ended up, you know, dominating in that league because of a Derrick Henry, a cheap Derrick Henry share or anything. But it's this willingness, I think, in auctions to think the complete opposite of how everyone else is thinking. You know, if you're in a home league and you all live in the same city and the players in your city are likely to go high, you if you want to win, you got to basically say, I'm not going to get any players from our home team. You know, like they're going to go too high. That's going to create other opportunities. Every time someone goes over budget, creates other opportunities. And you have to be willing. And the big, the other big key I'll always say is to, to be tier-based in your rankings and be willing to say, I'm going to take another player within this tier at substantially. Sometimes you can get a substantially cheaper price within the same tier. And the players are very comparable. And in any auction you do, you look back on it. There's always going to be players you bid a little bit too much on or players that, you know, you feel like you got great values on. You always want to come away though with the best values in the auction if you can. And as I listen to you discuss that, 
there, there are sort of three individual parts that jump out to me. And the first one is that preparation that you mentioned in terms of setting the values. And you, you talked about how you can do them. I, I think that in auctions, if you're serious about the league, right, you can go and you can kind of wing it and just be active in the auction targeting your guys. But if it's a league that matters to you, if it's a, you know, a dynasty startup or a redraft league with your college friends, coworkers, what have you, where it is important to you that you win that league. I know that um, we do have some listeners that ask us, you know, more specifically about auctions from time to time because they actually play their high stakes leagues are the auction ones and not kind of the other way around. If you're in that type of a situation, then I think that you owe it to yourself to actually work through the values and set prices within the context of your format. I mean, you have to know, you know, we, we can't tell you what the price is going to be for a certain player because the starting lineups are going to determine a, a lot in terms of how starting lineup heavy you want to be. I think one of the cool things you can do in an auction is actually maximize your starting lineup in a way that you can't necessarily in snake drafts. But the depth of the, the auction obviously is going to matter you know, the number of units you have, how that kind of thing is structured is going to matter. And you need to go through and actually set the prices that you think the players are worth and then make sure that it all adds up, right? That gives you a framework that you can start from in terms of the values. And if you're trying to figure out how to do that, there are a lot of different ways you can use our tiers at Rotoviz. If you, you know, put Rotoviz auction into your search terms, you'll find some great articles by Matt Spencer and Dave Cabin who have kind of worked through that process in a couple of different ways. One thing that I like to mention with our rankings that you have the tiers that Ben talked about, and you can kind of think of them scaling in a similar way that the dynasty values scale on that tiered side. But you also have to determine if you think the top players within your format are going to be worth these egregiously high prices. One of the things that Matt has worked through in his article is that at least in some dynasty formats, the very top players are probably overvalued and that the shape is incorrect relative to sort of value over replacement. Now, we also know that there can be some issues with value over replacement, and it might be actually better to risk it on these very high priced players, knowing that breakouts are going to be targets for you, knowing that zero RB candidates are going to be targets for you, knowing that as opposed to being really concerned about the values of players who might actually be in the, the auction window, that you can use free agency to replace some of those types of people. But you have to work for yourself to figure out how you think the player should be priced in this format and then also get a sense of what you think or even work out what you think the prices are actually going to be because that's going to give you a little pre-auction sense of some of the areas that you might target. And then once the auction starts, you have to be active. One of the things that you mentioned, again, about getting Derrick Henry is that people weren't bidding on him. You can see on your sheet what the price should be. And especially with the, the early round players who you actually might get a, a, a huge value because if for some reason the entire room just sits there and the clock runs out and no one has bid, then you could not necessarily win your league, but you could get this huge advantage in terms of how your budget is spent simply because you were there. And so if a player has been nominated that you do not want, you still need to be, it, it'll keep you more engaged in the auction in the first place, but you still need to be there price enforcing at least to a level that is you know, maybe 70% of what you think the value should be because you don't want someone else to just get the player essentially for free. You have to be very active on the players you want, but you also need to be active on the other players. That'll get you the values, but it'll also keep the other managers from knowing specifically who you want. If you only bid on the guys that you are intent on getting, that sends a strong signal to the other players. Sometimes it may be to your benefit. A person's like, well, I don't want to go to the moon on this player that Sean is bidding on because this is the only guy. But at the same time, you don't want other managers to be able to read you like that and you won't be able to get the value. So you need to be active. And then the kind of the third thing that I had on my notes for the show and, and definitely kind of popped out to me there as you were talking is that there are so many advantages to auctions. And yet the one disadvantage might be that people want fun players. And my experiences in the snake drafts is that there are a lot of guys and we tend to think of them as maybe dead zone running backs, but there are players in the first two or three rounds too, who really aren't that fun. 
probably should not be drafted where they are. But because of the focus on week one and the focus on projections and anybody who didn't listen to our show on projections, make sure you check that out. I, I think it was a fun one. But players will get locked into that spot. And with ADP, if they fall a couple slots below that or certainly half a round below that, someone is going to grab them because they see that ADP value. You and I just suggested that you should consider doing that in an auction. But at the same time, the reverse, I think, is true, where the fun players are going to get bid on. And so you may be surprised at some of your targets and how expensive they are. You have to have a set of values and a way of thinking about the auction that is deep enough that you can adjust if Travis Etienne is suddenly being bid on like he's a first round running. Yeah. So you you had three things from everything I said. I think I probably have 10 things from what you just said. Um, I'm going to, I guess, start with one of the sort of smaller ones, but maybe we, as an industry, don't discuss enough, you know, bidding strategy. You were talking about if somebody's bidding you up because they, they kind of pick up a tell, this is a guy that you like. I would just say over the years, one of the things I've learned is it can be very beneficial. I mean, you, you want to get up to your price and everything, but it can be very beneficial to let that person beat you at that player that you want, because that is somebody who now has a tell on you and they've now used a pretty significant amount of their budget to go up high on higher than even the market, probably on a player that you were higher on the market on, but they're also higher on the market on, let them go get that player. Now they're going to have less flexibility and they can't exploit that tell every time you have a target. If you go beat them, now you've used money and every other time you see values throughout, they're going to be able to push you and you're not going to come away with a lot of overall value. So letting one guy go to somebody who seems to be getting into bidding wars with you. So they deplete their resources, I think is maybe a little bit more of an advanced tactic or something, right. That maybe isn't discussed as much, but uh, I'm, I'm typically pretty comfortable when I, when I get a feeling that somebody is coming into bidding wars with me for a target that I'm in, that does, that'll happen more in home leagues than, you know, uh, anonymous online leagues or things like that, but let them have, have that player, make them start sweating what they have left available and who they can bid on so that then you can potentially get some of the other targets. Cause we all have a lot of targets. You never want to go into auctions with like must have guys. You got to have at least, if you want to have targets, fine, but have 10 targets, you know, don't have two because then you're going to be, really pigeonholing yourself into allocating an X amount of your budget, you know, to, to fulfill that one plan that you have. And that's where auctions can get really bad quick. Another key you talked about was the values and putting in the work. And I just wanted to say, I want to go a couple ways with that. One was for anyone who's looking for a, you know, I don't have time to put, put together all of my auction values, or I don't know how maybe you want like a quick way of doing it. I would say go find a couple different auction calculators on the internet or whatever, and auction values that you think mirror your league settings to a certain degree, pull the values, not necessarily the rankings, because those are just probably one person or one site's opinion. Go to the rankings that you trust, wherever those are, maybe they're at Rotoviz, hopefully they're at Rotoviz, or go to ADP, right? An ADP source that you really trust. And then sort of just copy and paste you know, RB1 is this value, RB2 is this value, RB3 is this value. That, that'll that give you a starting point. That can be a five, 10 minute project in, in Excel. It's going to take a little bit of, you know, Excel knowledge, but especially because the different sites are going to have recommended auction values, but they're going to have, you know, we know in, in Redraft, ESPN, Yahoo, CBS, all the different sites are going to be a little bit higher on certain players. People write those articles every year. This guy goes a lot higher on this site than that site. For those of you in home leagues, it, it would be helpful to pull values go grab an ADP somewhere. So you're at least more tied to a broader wisdom of the crowds, marketplace, ADP marketplace, than just that one site's recommended values. And you might immediately find values in your draft where some of the people in your league are going off the recommended values on that, that site that you're using. The flip side of the, the value thing, whatever chart you get to, the reason I would so strongly recommend getting to a chart, even if you don't have the time to put in hours into really laboring over feeling like you have the right tiers and you have everything structured for your league settings the way that you want, it gives you a baseline in the auction. And you were talking about being aggressive and, and some of the things you're doing in the auction. One of the things that happened to me early on was I was very heavy zero RB. I would deflate the running back values. I would increase the receiver values. But then what you start to recognize is every receiver that's going off is, is going off lower than your values. And you're tempted to keep bidding on every single receiver. Every running back's going way above your values. That's like 
okay, you know, but you, you, it's not great. It's a, it's a strat. It puts you in a position where you feel pressure every time. So I, over the years have artificially been valuing running backs even higher, higher than I would probably bid on them. I just know in my mind, I don't ever want to pay full price on the running back, but it helps me allocate my values to something that's going to be closer to what the room is probably going to do in terms of the way I'm allocating the receiver money and things. And then I can really try to find good values at receiver as opposed to maybe some inflated receiver prices. But regardless of wherever your sheet winds up, the main point I wanted to say in terms of like tracking the room is if every running back is going over value that you have on your sheet and your sheet, you have the sheet of values, even if it's a really basic one that adds up to the total amount of units that are in your, in your auction, then you know there will be positions, full positions, not just you know, individual players that are going to go under the values that you have listed. And that is, that's what the sheet gives you when you just have values is it gives you something to anchor to that all adds up. So when you start to see that trend, okay, every running back is going higher. And I use running backs because typically for me, the running backs end up going higher than where I'm going to value them. I know that all the receivers are going to go under. Now I need to be more diligent in getting really good prices on receivers. Because if I start to take $2 discounts on the receivers, there's going to be other ones that go for 10 later and I'm not going to have the budget to make that work. And I'm going to, I'm going to feel like I didn't maximize my potential in this auction. And so again, to continue that logic, if the running backs are going high, but then the top receivers are also still going to the prices that you have them at. You have to continue to think through, okay, it's not all the receivers are going to be values, but it's going to be that second tier or that third tier. There's going to be values. It's one of the things that gets really tough in auctions you get impatient sometimes. You think, you, I got to get players on my team. So many good players have gone off. But if everyone, and this happens in, in more amateur auctions, if everyone's going really high on the best players, you can get in a position where you can draft your entire team out of players that are top 10 round picks in, in snake formats, which can also be, you talked about in some formats, being able to really get a lot of firepower in your starting lineup through an auction in a way you can't in snake. I often find myself leaving auctions deeper than I can ever be in a snake, which is not necessarily going to make my starting lineup so so amazing that I'm going to win. And it can create some problems in the back end in terms of churning waivers in the season. So I do want to like make sure that I have a few guys that are one dollar players and I can cut them and I don't and I still have the ability to to churn. I want to be flexible, obviously. But when the top end goes really, really expensive, if you can get maybe your best player is only a second or a third round ADP player, right? And sometimes you can still get a you know a second one second round player, one third round player, but you might wind up with five players who have fourth round ADPs and five more players that have fifth round ADPs. And you have 10 guys that are in the top five rounds, and those are still upside profiles. Those are still players that are worth targeting. Uh, you might end up, you know, a lot of times in those auctions, because I'm not a dead zone guy, I wind up with a receiver heavy team, a ton of fourth and fifth round receivers, a really strong and deep receiver room, and an elite quarterback, you know, a fifth round quarterback and a fifth, you know, or an elite tight end, maybe a third round tight end, maybe a pits or something. I don't know. But then because I didn't take the elite wide receivers or the the very elite tight end or the you know the top end quarterback or what have you, my zero RB target, my zero RB room ends up being all of these seven, eight, nine round redraft running backs, right? Devin Singletary, Rojo, all these guys that are the high-end zero RB targets. I can get a ton of them. You know, I get, I get 10 of them, maybe, you know, depending on how deep the league is. So there's this willingness to let the room dictate where you go. Also understanding of structure and, and value and, and pockets and different ways to build. Those are what I just described. I've definitely done that in an auction before. And I've left auctions where every player on my team, except maybe the kicker and D were top 10 ADP guys. And it's been zero RB teams like I just described. And the running back room winds up being incredibly strong, incredibly deep, or like the, the most firepower you'd ever have in a zero RB team that doesn't have a top five round running back on the roster. So just having that list, even if they're not accurate, it allows you, as long as it adds up to the total amount that people have to bid on, it allows you to see, you can just mentally do it in your head, where guys are going early and what that means for where the other values on your list are going to be relative to the values that you have, right? And so obviously you want to be as accurate as possible, but even if you just take five, 10 minutes to, to build a quick list, it gives you that benchmark and it keeps you engaged on who, first of all, who's left right in the player pool and then where they might go and where, where there's value, where there's not value uh, in, in the auction, you know, early, middle, late. Sometimes some 
auctions will be you'll get in there and, and everyone's a little bit tight and that's where i'll take the approach that you described where i might get a jonathan taylor or christian mccaffrey right away right and also get a couple high-end receivers or travis kelsey or you know really go for this powerful starting lineup but the willingness to do essentially what the opposite of what your your league is doing the the most helpful thing to do is to just have all those numbers so that you can see where the room is leaning that's exactly right and the depth approach that you described there is a lot what matt spencer describes in his article anybody who's read matt on anything knows how fantastic he is it's a lot what the fantasy douche always used to recommend in his auction work uh when he was writing for rotavis and obviously people know that anything that the fantasy douche did was also excellent the part that you were kind of getting to at the end there i think is also crucial where you're ready to attack if the opportunity presents itself and to be ready it's helpful to game out a variety of scenarios beforehand you can think of it in terms of the room being aggressive or being passive you can think of it in terms of the room being running back heavy or wide receiver heavy or more balanced because obviously balanced <laughs> drafts occur as well those are those are the elite tight end auctions sometimes right. the whole tight end position just gets forgotten about and then you're like all right well i'm getting travis kelsey at a sixth round adp type auction value okay that's fine anyway sorry continue and to game out some of these scenarios before you start and to think through how they would work and then how you would play it gives you a big edge because one of the main things that you see even from people who are very established fantasy players if they haven't played a lot of auctions then that experience level is just not the same i mean if, if someone has done 15 auctions but they've done 500 drafts of, of other types they're not going to have the same familiarity with it they're not going to have the same expertise with it and because auctions can be so much more variable they're not locked into adp in the same way that a draft is and they're not necessarily locked into the same order because of the way nominations work and so you have so many different scenarios that can play out you need to have worked through what those could be and how you would approach it because one of the things that you'll see at the beginning of drafts and you hinted at this is that the room could be very aggressive or it could be fairly passive because if you know 10 to 12 or 8 to 12 members of your group are actually thinking in terms of the values that can be had from say player 50 to player 100 and they're sort of hyper aware of the leverage that you gain when you have a lot of your units remaining to target that group then they may not be as aggressive on those early players and if that happens you absolutely have to get the edge by landing some of those players creating this elite upside superstar team that you can then really fill through waivers and through good one dollar picks because in the vast majority of those drafts what you see is that players in say the rounds eight through 12 range are very expensive and i mean you don't want to be you'd love to have lots of those players but you don't want that to be a case where you're bidding against half the league for players who end up going at the same or a greater price than the round four guys and that will happen it doesn't happen in every draft and you're going to have different different shapes but it will happen and you have to be ready for it and you have to have both the values that you set out and the scenarios that you've played through in your head work and in some cases played out on paper work for what happens at the beginning of the draft you you'd be very much on that and so then ben i think that kind of leads us into this discussion of different ways that you can play it you mentioned this deep zero rb oriented team you hear a lot about stars and scrubs i've mentioned that especially if you are in maybe a home league where the starting lineup is not particularly deep i think you do want to be more aware of the quarterback and the tight end and how those positions represent a larger percentage of your starting lineup and so they're going to be disproportionately important when you're working through how the the auction goes as you're kind of mapping this out in your head and the terminology 
it's not you're sticking to a, a straight approach that is exactly that. But how do you think through some of these scenarios and what would be some of your preferred ways to play it based on different auction settings or contexts that could occur in the first 15 to 20 players? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah, so that's a, that's a great next place to go. Um, in my experience, I, I, I cut in and mentioned tight end is the position that sometimes just gets completely forgotten about as a position. And you could go back and rank the auction values and then put it up against an ADP and see that all of the tight ends are going like rounds later than where they would go in a normal draft based on their ADPs. Because you, you want, you know, uh, running backs almost never get devalued in any kind of format. And you might have put the room that does want receiver depth. And essentially everyone's just like, I'm comfortable with a late round tight end format you know, or a structure or I have a tight end target that I like. And so that's one right off the bat that I keep an eye on is, and I'm not usually, you know, bidding aggressively on the first tight end. One of the things that you did that you said that I, I, I agree with, but I also think can be scary was the, the aggressiveness of bids. You definitely want to mask your bids. I like to bid well below the values that I have. And this is probably what you meant, but anytime you start to get up around a, a price on a player that you don't actually want or doesn't fit for your, your build, I, I don't even like, I, I will never, there's the price enforcing bids. I, I too many times have been caught price enforcing, giving somebody a $3 or a $5 value on a player has less of an impact on the overall auction and on that one individual's roster, I mean, you don't want to give the same person a ton. You, you want to keep an eye on the other people's teams and those things, but has less of an impact on impact on the overall roster. They're still paying something for that player. It's a small discount. Has less of an impact on the overall draft than if you get that player, they're not really a part of anything that you're planning, what that will have a, on an impact on your flexibility and what you can do for the rest of the auction. It can completely change your entire auction. To, to get a player that you didn't necessarily want to get completely change everything. It could be multiple cheaper players that would add up to that amount that would give you the requisite depth at a different position. You know, say you, you end up getting a $20 running back. You didn't mean to get, you could have gotten two $10 receivers, which allowed you the requisite depth that now would have allowed you to get up to your higher end receiver potentially. But because you, don't have that $20 for those two $10 players. You can't get up to the higher end and you're still sort of struggling to get the requisite depth that you need. I mean, it can really impact everything down the rest of the way. So I never want to get caught price enforcing and those types of things. But so I was saying that tight end, when the first one starts to go off, I'll, I'll bid. A lot of times I want to see where that's going to get to. Now, if it is a Kelsey and I think he's way below value, I'm just going to get him. Cause I, a lot of times you'll see the first one be the cheapest and then the, <laughs> People go, oh, well, that was that was a value. And then, you know, the next tight end, Andrews goes off $5 more because the room adjusts a little bit. But if it's getting up around close to the price you're at, I don't necessarily want to make a full price bid on that player because I want to see then what happens within positions as people anchor, within positions specifically, right? So if Kelsey went for X amount, then Andrews is supposed to go a couple dollars less and Pitts is supposed to go a couple dollars less. And there's that element if Kelsey ends up going somewhat cheap, a lot of times that means people won't be willing to go higher on an Andrews or a Pitts. 
you'd prefer to have Kelsey to, to Andrews at the same price, all things, you know, similar, but it allows you to kind of then try to find another value, even if that player is a slight value because of the way that the room, you know, sort of responds at that position. So tight end is one I'm always keeping my eye on because it does get kind of forgotten about. Quarterback is very similar in single QB. I'm always keeping my eye on. Sometimes everyone wants to just get the cheap quarterback, right? Or a cheap quarterback. They want to try to get a Burrow or a Lance for $5. And, and that's their whole plan. And it's so clear that you can then get Josh Allen for 10. And it's like, okay, I'm willing to, you know, pay $5 more to get Josh Allen. Uh, other times it'll be very expensive. In 2QB, it's very different because you tend to see a lot of aggressiveness at quarterback, right? And so then there's balances there. My approach in 2QB is, is often to try to still get an elite quarterback because I feel like I can manage the room and get enough values across the board that that is a position that is worth paying up for. In single QB, I almost feel like there's not a lot of positions that are worth paying. I mean, the, this year, the, the top three receivers might be, the very top running backs might be at the right price, but in all likelihood, the running backs are going to go so high, and I don't think the drop-off from a first-round running back to a second round or a third round or even a zero RB build is as massive structurally and in the way that I approach it that I'm not probably going to go that high. So that's I start to – you were talking about Matt Spencer's writing. I start to wind up, you know, heading back that direction towards this deep team when the expensive players go expensively, as you would sort of expect. When I do a super flex, though, that's where I'm like, okay, I, I don't mind just paying for Josh Allen and, and or paying for Mahomes or Kyler or Lamar and then building off of that because I think those players are so valuable in super I might even try to get two of them. And then just have this immense firepower quarterback and then really try to lean on my ability to manage the values at the other positions to build out sort of a combination of depth and the the firepower starting lineup that you were talking about. Now I have firepower quarterback. I have that as a differentiating part of my lineup for sure. And I'm going to build depth elsewhere and build this really, really strong roster. But sort of, yeah, the approach for me from you know, going in and from different positions and as I'm sort of reading and feeling the room from experience, but not always, right? It It is that I'm going to probably wind up paying less at running back. And so that's where we get back to the original question. This, you know, how would you approach like a zero RB thing? Well, a lot of my plans going in, regardless of format, are going to include quite a small amount of my auction budget going to running backs because I don't mind doing that. I think it's more important structurally for an entire season to get a lot of value at receiver to potentially get the fire the off the starting lineup firepower at the quarterback and tight end position and from those elite tiers and then one of the really cool things about the auctions what i described is when you get into certain ones you can still wind up with a really deep and pretty strong running back group just by playing the values right at that position and basically not having any targets it can be better than a zero RB draft ever would be because you don't have to wait until the 12th, 13th, 14th, 15th round to start taking your RB2, RB3, RB4. You can get a bunch of round eight, round nine guys at small prices, and you're still allocating a very small amount of your overall budget to running back. So you can come up with a running back room that is so much better than you would in a snake where you got the firepower, you did a QB tight end and receiver. But it's, you know, it's this mentality going in of I, 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 want to have the depth at receiver that we always talk about in almost any format. You have to be aware of your format. Maybe it's only a start to receiver one flex and it's super flex. And okay, now I'm probably even more likely to get the elite quarterbacks because I don't think I need as much depth at a receiver if I can only start three. Uh, I might even be willing to pay up for a, a really good running back if I have to start two and I can only start three receivers, right? And those type, there, there are those types of starting lineup leagues. Certainly more willing to consider an elite tight end and really be starting lineup heavy in that type of format. But it's, you know, it's it's having an idea, number one, of where you're probably going to lean relative to the room, which for me is always probably going to be cheaper at running back and, and heavier at receiver and, and, and in depth at receiver, which is why I often don't wind up getting the elite receivers. I always wind up or often wind up in that second group and then keeping an eye on, on the trends. I will go like light tight end, right? If the tight ends are being aggressively valued, that's fine then you can get a $1 tight end and sort of try to stream it all year, but you probably now have some available budget to, to shift maybe to, to a running back 
that you think is interesting. Maybe not a top tier one, but maybe a round two or round three guy. Maybe an ETN, right, at the right price, or a higher end receiver or a better quarterback than you're planning on. So I don't know if that totally got to your question, but it was sort of talking through my approach. Yeah, that's a very good way to think about it. Before we wrap up, I do want to throw a little plug out there for the stars and scrubs approach or modified stars and scrubs because I mean, everything has to be modified right then. And one of the reasons that I like to do this in an auction is that I do like to try things that are absolutely impossible in redraft. And what you described, definitely something that you can't do in redraft where you're able to get that depth of RBs who, you know, might end up on the running back candidates list might be, you know, your preferred targets in that range. But another thing that you can't do in redraft is select eight wide receivers in rounds four through seven. And that's one of the reasons why people, when they say, well, wide receiver is deep or, you know, why are you guys starting with the early rounds when there are these great values elsewhere? It's because you can't do that. And if you want to get the wide receiver firepower that you need to win leagues and win tournaments, you have to start early because they don't allow you to have multiple picks in a certain range. In auctions, obviously you can. Now it's going to depend again on the values, but you can load up on those guys exactly like you were describing and you can potentially do it and also hit a Christian McCaffrey or a Jonathan Taylor. And so you can basically have the best of both worlds where now you don't have to choose between this legendary running back that Patrick Corrine has described and all of this wide receiver firepower. Now, you're not going to have those early round guys. And those early round guys do often come into play. I mean, they are your stars. And yet one of the questions that I get a lot is, Sean, how do we actually draft off of your rankings? Because you have a handful of guys in any given year that are two or three rounds above ADP. And obviously you're not expecting us to have hundred percent exposure to those players. Those are the players in an auction where you really are trying to get them. Now I mentioned that sometimes they'll be more expensive because they do tend to be fun players, but you land the star and then you land a large number of wide receivers or running backs, whatever position, especially probably wide receivers, but then you described the, the zero RB candidate profile as well, a large percentage of players who are young, who are a little bit less expensive because they haven't proven it and people are tied into the week one outcomes. You're targeting players with a wide range of outcomes. You do this anyway. That's how our teams are always built. But you're looking to the past. You're looking to things that maybe they aren't as predictive. But one of the things about certain performances like college performances that aren't as predictive for the NFL as you know, what someone did last year in the NFL is that that's where you can actually benefit. That's where there is a potential to beat the expected outcome because of the uncertainty. The players that we know what they're going to do, it's not that they're bad players. They may outscore some of the guys that you take in a similar range, but because we know what they're going to do, they're going to be priced more or less efficiently. Whereas the players with the wider range of outcomes give you that chance to blow away what the expectation is. If you have a couple of them, you know, maybe you don't hit. If you're taking guys who have a great track record from college and based on, you know, all of the research that Ben does, all the research that we put out there for you at Rotoviz, and you know that over time, those players, or if you have a large enough sample, those players are going to win leagues for you. That's how you're building in a snake draft, but you can get even more potential oomph from it in an auction loading up on those players in that round four to seven, eight range. And then the other thing that I like when think of like the pure scrubs, the stars and scrubs element is that I do find that there are a lot of KJ Hamlers for me every season. You're always hoping that they don't drop like a 70 yard touchdown pass and then get injured as <laughs> how their season plays out. But because there are a lot of those players and you only get one pick in those rounds as well, I love to be able to use auctions to really load up on those guys for the second half of my team. And, you know, maybe they're not $1 players, maybe they're $2 players because you only get so many nominations. You're going to have to go over the top of some other drafters at a certain point if you want to land those guys. But if you've played out the scenario and you know approximately what the costs are going to be and you can come up with 
you know, your seven KJ Hamlers to fill out the back of your lineup. I'm very confident again, because of the profiles, because of the scenarios that can hit and because the uncertainty actually plays to your advantage, that those types of teams set you up to, you know, have this kind of world destroying type of lineup. And then you're going to have to use waivers as well, right? You're going to have to churn. You're going to have to fill in behind. You're going to have to be active and ready to grab those key guys who do make an impact off of waivers so that you have the overall depth. I, I find it the siren song of building this kind of stars and scrubs type of lineup, just almost impossible to resist in auctions because you, you just can't quite do the same thing in a snake draft. It has a ton of upside and for me, I mean, so much of it too, it's just, it's a lot of fun. You hit on something that I, I definitely want to clarify because I was talking a lot about this idea of getting all your players in the first 10 rounds or what have you. I typically go into auctions allocating a third of my roster to $1 players immediately. Like that is a part of my pre-process for a couple of reasons. One, for all the reasons you just described, I, I want to hope to hit on those players. And two, because I want to have some flexibility in my roster for waivers during the year. I expect to hit on a couple KJ Hamlers or want to, to carry them. These $1 players are not, they're not just throwaway roster spots, obviously. So if it's an 18 roster, you know, man roster, I'm going to allocate six spots typically. You said half. And, and maybe you could, you know, if you're really going stars heavy, you might have nine spots like that. But the idea is, look, there's six there. Hopefully I'll hit on two of those six flyers and then I'll have four spots as well that I'm going to need to probably churn on waivers, right? And that's, you want some flexibility into your roster. So you're trying to find key difference makers in some of the main spots of your roster. And that's, again, like probably should have been one of the first things we talked about is this idea of not trying to, to build the deepest team in the world all the way through the 18th spot if you have an 18-man roster because then you don't have flexibility. You don't have players that you want to drop. They're not droppable, frankly. You'd rather have just taken two of those guys and turned them into one better player in the auction. So totally agree with that. And then also as you were talking through that and, and kind of I was thinking through some of the other things I said earlier in the show, the sum for me, and this gets back to your, you know, your concept of what you can do from a stars and scrubs perspective, even in that not necessarily stars range, but that four to seven range, the ability to get so much wide receiver depth to build that, I, I think you were saying to build out with sort of like some stars, right? Like some first rounders, right? You're, you're nodding along for the people who aren't watching on YouTube. And so it's it's the a couple first rounders, maybe this block in the fourth to seventh range, and then some scrubs, right? And that and, and it's stuff that you can't do in a snake, in a, a texture to a roster that you can't find in a snake. And so when I was saying earlier to not go in with targets, the this concept just came to me of like, that's sort of the answer in in auctions is you don't go in with specific targets, but you go in thinking I can do a better job of building a draft plan. I talked about how you can build a better zero RB running back room than you'd ever be able to build in a snake, right? Because of what an auction is, the flexibility. So what you really should be thinking of is instead of I can go in and get all my guys, it's I can go in and I can build a type of team that better suits the way that I would really like to hand pick a roster for a format. I talked about in Superflex, potentially build a two elite quarterback team and get two of the top five quarterbacks. You can't do that in a snake. And that's amazing. And if you're targeting the types of players you said that, you know, are the last of their tier, the T Higgins from last year that, that Sean, you had ranked, you know, in the second round, but ADP maybe was had him in the fourth. If you're able to get those guys at fourth round prices and you can still do a lot of other stuff, even though you went with the two elite quarterback in a Superflex build, right? But the whole mindset should be rather than I can go in and get this player or this player, or this player, these favorite players of mine, I can go in, I can leave this draft, even though I don't necessarily know the players and I got to be willing to be flexible on who the players are. I might even wind up with some players I don't take anywhere else. Like the Derrick Henry example from earlier, what I can do is execute a plan better than any other place. And like, I can go in, I can pick what my team is going to look like, how it's going to feel. And I can decide that as we go, certainly whether it's a stars and scrubs, whether it's deep, relative to how the, the auction is going, but it's that is the most freeing part of the auction is I can come out of it with a better fit for the type of structure I would want to build if I could just write it up than I would otherwise be able to in a snake, in any other format, really. Running back is flat from the, the fifth round through the ninth round. Okay, well, then I can take a bunch of ninth round running backs and let people pay up for the fifth round running backs. Wide receiver 
is deep through the seventh. There's some elite guys, but it's also deep through the seventh. Okay, I can target a ton of guys from that fourth to seventh range. You know, we think the difference-making QBs are elite, and it's super flex. Okay, I want to get two of them. I want to really hit. Those guys are a tier above, so you can find the tiers, the pockets of value throughout drafts, and build this contact, this team that, you know, across it, the, 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 the texture, the, sorry, the, the, the texture of the team is bet, a better fit for what it is that you think a team should be built like in, in fantasy football. So that's, I mean, that's really the joy of the auction, I think, should be the mindset. Yeah, that's a great place to to leave it both structurally and in terms of the joy. Auctions are are so much fun. We encourage everybody to do them when they do have a chance. Ben, uh, if we get the opportunity, we're going to come back and give a little bit of player-specific auction ideas in the next episode. Everyone stay tuned for that. It's been a fantastic episode, at least in terms for me. It was fun. Uh, of Stealing Bananas, I'm Sean Siegel. <laughs> With me is Ben. You can we follow we ben usually Fred. have a blast. Hopefully people do too. We do. We do. Have a great time with it. Follow him at Yards Per Gretch. Sign up for Stealing Signals. Join us at Rotoviz. You can use the coupon code RV Radio 2022 for a 10% discount on your one-year subscription. Subscribe to the feed. You'll get the bonus shows when they come out as opposed to waiting for them later. Leave us a rating and review. You guys have been fantastic there. The Sealy Bananas community continues to blow me away, both in terms of the enthusiasm, kindness, generosity, all that kind of thing. That until we talk to them again. Have a good week. We'll be we'll be back with you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.